I've been having some experiences lately where I'm like, I'm enough. I'm okay. Mm. I'm okay. This body is okay. It's like mm. my body has scars on it um, from trauma. I have a lot of scars on my body. And I feel sad talking about it right now, but but I'm okay and I'm beautiful. You know, I'm beautiful. Hello, I'm Eden, and this is Keep the Mess, Messy Conversations with Messy People, where we have conversations about how we relate to our bodies and go down whatever rabbit holes we find. I started this podcast because I'm a bit obsessed with this topic. I struggle with embodiment myself and wanted to learn about how other people live in and out of their bodies. I figured if I'm interested in these things, chances are that others are also interested. So welcome, fellow obsessives. In this episode, I speak with my friend Ben. This episode was originally recorded June 29, 2023. This was such a beautiful experience. We've been trying for months to get this done, having to reschedule because one of us had COVID or some other illness or other parts of life getting in the way, and I'm glad we finally made it happen. Ben talks about their experiences with abuse, gender identity, recovery, and how he has been finding ways to love their body. Content warning for mentions of sexual abuse and physical abuse. Talk about COVID, AIDS, addiction, homophobia, accentism, spiritual abuse, and suicidality. And lastly, I want to remind people that just because I have someone on this podcast doesn't mean I agree with them on all matters, or even many. These episodes are not about facts or saying things perfectly. They are people's stories, their experiences, their processing. Connecting and communicating with ourselves and each other is a messy affair, so I ask for a listening ear and some grace. All right, here's my interview with Ben. All right. Yeah, so, yeah, I just start with the first question, which is, how do you and I know each other? That is a good question. And I was thinking of... um, I mean, there's the relative level where we met, but like, how do we really know each other? What is our karmic connection? You know, was I your mother in a past life or your father or um, were we lovers? Did we kill each other? Did we? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, because I was thinking of the um, Buddhist teachings that talk about all beings Mm. are our relations were connected to everybody. And so Mm -hmm. like when I'm killing someone, I'm killing someone in my thoughts. You know, if I'm, if I'm thinking really negatively, it's like, that's a, that's a relative. That's a person. It's like, I know them. I was, Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, if every, if everything is our mother and our father, it's like, how do we know each other? Well, we know each other from the human family. Anyway, I'm getting... I'm, <laughs> I love how you're getting, like, deep, like, yeah. right away. It's great. It's very bad. Thank you. <laughs> but we met in a circle, a healing circle, that is about healing and connecting to the heart and finding freedom <sighs> and waking up from from um, delusions. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we met in a healing circle, in a community healing circle. Mm-hmm. That's how I know um, you on the relative earth plane. But mm-hmm. who knows what we did in a past life. Yeah. Do you mind if I'm more specific? <laughs> yeah, and you can cut that all out, too. <laughs> no, I, I'm not that stand. Oh, okay. <laughs> Unless you really hate it, but I love it. Oh, good. No, um, yeah. yeah, I'll just be a little more specific. So, yes, you know, actually, I like the way that you describe it as a healing circle. Because it is. It really is. To be more specific, it was sexual recovery. And I remember that. I remember meeting you and and being like okay i'm in i'm in the right place this is definitely queer (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah no i remember that quite distinctly uh the way that the couches were set up in the room and the chairs and um yeah and you were very bright eyed and yeah but no healing healing circle and yeah, I just, I think I find it fascinating the way that you're talking about us and the way that we're all connected and related to each other. Um, even if I don't know if I would follow all of the like sort of past lifetime stuff, I think the idea of us all being family If we actually thought about that all the time, family that we care about, let's say that (laughs) first off, you and I, I think both have had some rough time with family, but like the idea of being part of a community like that, how, how that would change the way we interact with each other if we didn't look at each other as so other, right? Yes, yeah, I was thinking like a citizen of the world and, mm-hmm. and of the, the human family, mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of ways that we interact with people is through separating. And of course, I think there's some, there's, there is, um, it is useful to differentiate, I think, in recognizing that you and I are not the same person. Because when you think you're the same person, that gets into some concerning boundary issues. Um, but I think there is a, a difference between thinking you're the same person and and just viewing someone as so other that they need to be destroyed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I remember in meeting you, you were someone who was very spiritually involved. Like that was very important to you. And something I'm just noticing about today was, you know, I went and I picked you up. And the first thing you said to me was, this is the first time that we have been together in person in three years. And how bizarre that is that we met in person, but actually the majority of our relationship has not been embodied at all. Um, and I, how important I think it is that this interview is embodied. 
as opposed to being online. I completely agree. I am so grateful for the face-to-face and it's this ongoing experience that I've been having Mm. that they talk about where our online presence is becoming more important Mm. than face-to-face human interactions. And I call it the, um, a lot of people get upset with this because I know that technology can bring people together, Mm. but there's also this, I call it, um, Technology has a bloodless, metallic feel to it for me. Mm. And there's a sense of manufactured intimacy. And I'm not, I'm looking at a screen. I'm not dealing with a living, breathing Mm. human Mm -hmm. in live time. So it's like, there's so much that I miss. And so I'm so grateful to see you (laughs) in person and to be in this beautiful space of your studio and and, um, just get to connect you know is, is a, a human being and 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 not a you know not a zoom bot <laughs> yeah it's like yeah we've we've only seen each other in these boxes for the last three years um and and all i see of you is like this very beautiful but like this this piece of art and your face and and that that is it you know, or I guess some of your torso, but like you have no legs, um, <laughs> you know, all, all you are is mostly shoulders and a head and artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I am is shoulders, a head, and I guess also some some artwork in the background, but mostly like a white wall. I know it's interesting. I didn't think we'd get to a point where. Where. Z- and and I can't speak for everybody, but like where the virtual world would become more important than the actual mm. face-to-face connections. And like this is, this is a person who is on a healing path, you know, healing from the wounds of, of, um, um, a lot of wounds, but I was thinking we met, we did meet in sexual recovery mm-hmm. and, and sexuality being, in my experience, being so connected to spirituality mm. <clears throat> and spirituality being so connected to how I'm connecting, mm. how I'm connecting with myself, with other people. And then the disconnection of a virtual environment. Mm. It's, it's like... Um, it might seem like I'm connecting more because I can talk to people all over the world and mm-hmm. have friends all over the country. and and But then there's a sense of disconnection because mm. there's not the face-to-face energetic transmission of the heart that I feel mm-hmm. in a face-to-face atmosphere where I can get a hug after a group, go out for fellowship, you know? Yeah. And then the meeting after the meeting. And, and um, um, my experience is, is that we're missing something. We're losing something important in these changes that have happened um i've i've been experiencing them the past couple years i would i would say when i talk about this societal trauma that Mm. i feel like i've gone through the past couple years i'd like to say i don't like to say COVID anymore Mm. i say before the lockdowns Mm. because i experienced it as being locked locked up yeah it's like they we our government locked us down that's what I experienced. Mm. And um, 
And now, you know, society's emerging now. It's like, oh, oh, you know. And then it's interesting, too, meeting people who didn't, they they resisted. They kept meeting all through, mm. all through it. I'm like, wow. It's like. Yeah, well, and a lot of, a lot of creativity. So, like, I remember at the time I was going to a church, you know, and it, it just went online because um because they were pretty they were larger they were large enough that it wasn't easy to meet outside or things like that and then we sort of transferred to a church that was small enough that it could meet outdoors and the creativity that had to be involved in being like oh how how do we manage to make this in person um because we recognize that that's important uh, especially for healing things that are supposed to be so so much about connection and in church, of course, there's literal communion, right? Uh, we couldn't have communion for a while, but like, where that's so important in a in a religious environment, or uh, you know, in in healing for us in recovery, and the you know the specific gathering that we've been part of has been online that whole time, and that is looking like it might change because I think enough of us are finally finally so fed up. <laughs> with doing stuff online like we've just reached this limit you reached it a long time ago but um yeah yeah it's it's very different because you don't get the vibes you don't get like whatever pheromones or vibes or auras or whatever you want to call them that you feel when you're actually in the presence of another human being Mm -hmm. it's completely different it's interesting too looking like looking with hindsight now how every everyone dealt with it differently too Mm. the states dealt with it differently you know and living in a very you know progressive liberal city we handled it way differently than like say a different state and and we're learning now that there were benefits to doing it differently like maybe we we were too tight i'm like god but, you know, I don't want to get into all of the COVID trauma because yeah. there's certainly a lot. And it's still it's still an ongoing, um, I, th- I would call it like a humanitarian and even like a, a, a human a human rights issue. Because what happened, I think, as a result, what I experienced as a result of the lockdowns was deeper community with my neighbors, but then also deeper disconnection. And people really, um, the suicide rates increased Mm-hmm. Um, more people died died by suicide, died by addiction. Yeah. Kids were stunted with their schooling, their yeah. social interactions, and and I think I think the way that the government handled it was harmful. Mm-hmm. I really do, and I hope I'm grateful for people that are um, you know speaking out and raising awareness around it because it's it's just like it's like wow i can't just pretend that none of that happened oh i haven't seen you in three years oh yeah everything's been fine oh yeah we were locked down and i couldn't see you um it's like society went bonkers it seemed like there were this it's just like yeah something yeah it's it's such a difficult one because you know i you know, I, you know, early on into to lockdown, I had a friend die of either COVID or of, um, or indirectly from COVID, like given given lockdowns and things like that. Um, couldn't couldn't get the help that she needed. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, it it was it was rough, and it was also bizarre because, you know, we couldn't we couldn't go and be there for our friend who was you know now a widower. We couldn't go to her funeral. We we did an online one, which I'm I'm glad that like we were at least able to see the recording, but like it's not the same. Doing an online memorial service is not the same. It was, it, you know, it was something that we would have traveled overseas for. That was really bizarre. But like, you know, so my partner and I have had loss, like a death um, caused by COVID. I've interviewed someone else on this who she's had 20 people die of COVID in her time. And like, that's wild. And so like her experience of this pandemic is so different from mine. And yet also, like, I was in the psych hospital at the beginning of the pandemic, you know. Uh, I know, you know, as you said, like, um, suicide attempt, like, tripled or something like that. Like, it went way, way high. So there are, I think that what we've all, you know, been understanding more and more is that there was a lot of prices to pay. And there was, it was just more complicated than just let's make sure that we don't die physically of this thing. Maybe not dying physically of this disease, but you're dying emotionally or you're dying physically because of your emotions and how you're not getting the help you need. So, yeah, I mean, you and I have been in conversation about this over the last three years and the anger and the hurt and the sadness that's just involved in in the grief of this experience um, with wherever you like are on the spectrum of how you view what's happened. Everybody's experienced grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting too. I have some friends, like I was talking to this guy, he's like, heck man, I was traveling. A lot of people were just like, they didn't, they didn't eat the, take the fear pill. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they just went out and, did their lives and had challenges but it's like wow i got to look a lot at my fear Mm. and it's like who who am i listening to is the government my higher power is the medical industrial media complex my higher power Mm. and then and then starting to see you know things get exposed too and it's Mm. like i've often told people the truth is multi-dimensional everybody has a piece of it Mm. and then it was like i felt like i was being told no this is the truth you have to do this Mm. and then I'm hearing all these different pieces. And then I met people in in the virtual world. This one person I got to know closely in the virtual world. And then he died. He got sick on Zoom. Mm. He was hospitalized. And then he died. And then I went to the memorial on Zoom. It was like this, it created this, this experience of, wow, is this, is this what we're moving into? This new paradigm where we just, Mm. um, our, our online imprint, our online connections, our virtual connections are more important than being with a human being, you know, just mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. And that's why I'm so grateful for my neighbors during the lockdowns because I felt like it was like we, we created family in our apartment mm-hmm. building complex. I live in an apartment complex and there's a lot of, it's, it's interesting, a lot of, um, immigrants from Southeast Asia mm. who who 
escaped communist communist regimes mm. you know so it's it's just like it's interesting and i'm still like i think i'm still healing from it i think we all are and and uh it's been a lot and it's i'm grateful to acknowledge it because it's like one of the weird things about it i think growing up surviving trauma <laughs> mm. um we didn't talk about anything we didn't talk about it. There wasn't any trust. We didn't share feelings. And it's like, there has been a societal trauma these past years, a couple years around the the, the, the lockdowns, around, um, um, what was I going to say, uh, environment, environmental issues, the racial reckoning that we've seen mm. um, that's going on all over the world. And... Um, and I think it's important to keep having conversations about it because yeah. I'm, I'm learning. I mean, and I don't know, you know, I think, I think, I think more, more will be revealed. And there's, it reminds me of this quote by St. Augustine, the truth is like a lion, let it loose and it will defend itself. Mm. It's like the lion's roar. It's like they talk about that in Buddhism too, the lion's roar. It's like this proclamation, you know, because when the lion roars in the jungle, it's heard. The other animals listen and it's like, it's like truth, like wakes you up when the mm. lion roars. And to me, it's about not only waking up, but staying awake. You know, our, our mm. the, the healing path that I am on, it talks about having, having had a, an awakening and then you know, carrying the message to others. And it's like, how do I wake up from all my delusions? I mean, mm. and I think it's probably a one day at a time, lifetime um, path. Because, you know, the greatest thing is I don't know. But I'm willing to um, stay open and grow, mm. you know. Because it's mm. like, it's not, it's, I think recovery teaches me this too. It's like, it's not black and white. There's the, 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 the truth is in the shades of gray. And in this yeah. environment right now where I'm seeing things so divisive, like so polarized. Yeah. You know, radical, radical left, radical right. And 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 um it's like what what's how are we gonna bring people to the middle? Yeah. You know, and, and I can't. I mean I can't <laughs> I can't fix it. Yeah. But I can work on my own healing and um keep breathing and i guess let my heart break too my buddhist teacher told me once that the way forward is with broken open heart yeah it's like i'm not gonna fix it and that's why i love this podcast because it says keep the mess <laughs> it's like it's messy you know and i'm yeah. a i'm a I'm a control freak. I want to control. I want to fix it. Um, I want everyone to agree with me and to love me. And, um, and I mean, I can't fix it. It's, it's like, I don't, I don't think it's going to be wrapped up in a nice little box. And it's like, well, and, and that's what it kind of seems sometimes it's like, too. It's like, oh, what? Pandemic? Or what? Three years? What? Oh, no, everything's fine. Nothing happened. It's like, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> it's like, it's 
excuse my my f bomb. Oh no! But this yeah, is... the stuff we've been through the past couple of years, I'm like, holy mother of mercy! <laughs> what the? <laughs> uh, I think I'm gonna bring us back a little bit because I realized um, I haven't had you introduce yourself yet. Uh, I mean, th- th- that's the way that this podcast works. But yeah, um, my my second question is, I I just ask you to introduce yourself, and you know, what are the ways that you what are the things you want people to know about you or like how you would like to be introduced? Thank you. My name is Ben. <laughs> Benjamin. That's... They used to call me Benji and Benny. I like to be... I like to inspire people through my creative musical gifts <laughs> and enrich their lives. I am a human being. I like to sing and write songs. I have some music out and I enjoy performing. I also enjoy recovering and healing. And for me, recovery means returning to health and the sanity that I was born with. Mm-hmm. Sanity that I was born with. Um, I, I, I think of the quote by Walt Whitman. He said, something like, I am larger than life and greater than I thought. I didn't know I held such goodness. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm I'm um I'm grateful that I can connect to that goodness and be a human being. I'm a human being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I um I love that you just sort of go go towards music with that cuz yeah, you recently came out with with an album of very sort of sort of transcendental blues. I don't know. What do you, what do you call it? I love it. Transcendental blues. Yeah. Um, songs of awakenment inspired by mysticism, meditation, and the vividness and beauty of nature. Mm. Um, songs that uplift your spirit and bring you joy. And I was going to say too, I think identity markers can be important but I can get lost in them too. And I mean, my identity markers, I I was born a male. Mm. I was socialized as a male. I also like the label. I like the identity marker queer. I used to say gay, but as I, as I age, <laughs> I'm in my um, mid-50s now. Queer just seems more relevant to me. And I... I resonate with the label and the experience of being a non-binary person. Mm-hmm. That f- fits for me. And I'm white. I have white skin. So I've had, I've moved through the world even, I mean, as a marginalized person because of queerness, I've moved through the world with a lot of privilege just mm-hmm. because of my white skin and because of my perceived maleness, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm I'm very aware of just being perceived those ways, the 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 doors that it opens for me, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 realizing too now it's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. privilege is not a bad thing, um, it's how I'm going to use it, you know, mm-hmm. am am I using it to keep people down or keep you know keep opening up. It's like, mm-hmm. are we going to have inclusivity for all, and um, or is it just going to be for the for the privileged? You know, the privileged few. 
the the, mm. the cis. I love the word cis hat, cis hat, white male. Because <laughs> I was I, I I was I was raised by, you know, I was raised by a um, traumatized traumatized parents, mm. who were white, you know, mm. white parents, and then also I had. From my mom's side, in my Armenian lineage, I had a great-grandfather who was Armenian, who was probably considered white in Armenia, but I look at his pictures, and I'm like, he was dark. Oh, know? yeah. Dark hair, dark eyes. He he owned the Los Angeles Oriental Rug Company, and I have a picture of him in his sitting in his loom with it. looks like kind of a turban hat on. He's in full ethnic yeah. um Regalia, and I feel him so alive in me. I never knew him, but I know him because he's in my DNA. Mm. And the more research I've done about the Armenian genocide and what he was escaping, bringing to this country as an immigrant, mm. he's kind of become one of my heroes and my ancestor guides. Mm. And um, and and I believe too, our our primal mother is a black woman. Mm. We we all come from a black womb. Mm. That's just my my experience, and and we can look into the history of humanity. It all goes back to right. our our mother is a black woman. Yeah, it's like so. Yeah, this othering thing—it's just crazy what we're doing. It is interesting. Um, so I, you know, you know this, but uh, I grew up in Russia and then Ukraine, mm. and. I remember when I lived in Russia and I was in elementary school and one of the, one of our neighbors, uh, the neighbor kids we played with, uh, she was Armenian and mm. she had darker, darker skin. And um, you and I on the ride over here, I was talking about how many skin tones there actually are in what we quote unquote call whiteness, right? But yeah, I remember that. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. You know, that that, that would be true for your ancestors. I recorded a song on my second CD called Chin RS. It's an Armenian tune. And mm. I heard it when I started really getting in touch with the Armenian side of me. I heard the song and I thought, oh my God, I want to do a jazz rendition of it. And it's so beautiful. It means you are a plane tree, Chin RS. But um, I really connect deeply to that music. When I hear the... Um, I think it's called the abud. It's a it's a it's a reed instrument, mm. and it sounds so like Middle Eastern and mysterious and hypnotic. I just it 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 wakes me up, you know, because mm. I know that's in there. Mm. It's like those those um those Armenian genes, and then I also have Slovenian, Scottish, and Irish. That's probably my alcoholism, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then um um German. Mm. I am the German in me is in there. <laughs> yeah. I lived in Germany for five years to meet my father and my mother. And my my um my kinder? No. <laughs> my brother and sister. I'm being silly. <laughs> ben being silly, never. Yeah. Yeah, we lived there. Military. We're military. That's right. Yeah, military. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what? Thank you to the veterans. God bless the veterans. God bless my family, who all, a lot of them served in the military. But also, I feel like I was victimized by that whole um, complex, the mm -hmm. military, industrial, 
war machine of, of greed, hatred, and delusion um, that affected my family in several generations. But my experience with my father, he did two tours of duty in Vietnam, and he came back with PTSD. I think he had PTSD before he went in there, but... Um, and he writes about this in a book. He wrote a book actually about his life and our whole family had PTSD. He brought the war back with him and those poor vets mm. did not have the resources to metabolize the trauma that they'd experienced. And of course it created difficulties in the family. I mean, my God, um, I feel like my family is still suffering from the Vietnam War. Mm. So interesting. And it's so interesting that I end up living in a housing project that is predominantly people from Vietnam. It's interesting. Mm. We've had some interesting conversations, right? you know, with some of my neighbors who were in, I mean, when the Americans got out, they, um, some of them were really harmed badly, put into prisons and tortured. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow. And, you know, and I really believe my dad, he's still healing from it. It's just, it's, it really impacted our, our family and him. So I have a lot of empathy for my dad, what he endured, um, but definitely feel the legacy of that, that war. And, you know, if I look even deeper, I'm sure the other wars too, because my grandpa was a, he was a China Marine. He was over in China for two years during mm. that period. And um, I had a, a, my, my Armenian grandfather, he died in a plane wreck doing some maneuver over the desert, military, mm. you know, so there's been a lot of um, loss, grief and loss connected to the um, military industrial complex. And I would probably say I'm a pacifist. Mm. I, I don't, I don't agree with, with what we, we're doing this country with, I mean, just glo global, just the global killing, it's really horrible. Mm. But you know, that's been going on for a long time. Yeah. It's, it's like war, war, plague, famine, and wars since the beginning of mankind, really. Yeah. It's like we've been... <laughs> Don't mean to be a downer. <laughs> oh, this podcast is already, it's already a downer. Um, you know, it's interesting as you're talking, I keep forgetting for some reason that, that I come from like, that I have military in my family, that my, so my grandfather was in the Korean war as a doctor. Uh, I remember him saying uh, that the show mash, uh, he's like, oh yeah, it was way more crazy than that. Um, like they didn't get it. They didn't get all of the crazy <laughs> that happened. And, you know, and he, he retired, I think when my dad was in middle school, perhaps, um, but from, from the military, not from work. But um, I forget that my dad grew up as an army brat, you know, mm -hmm. and what, how that must've affected my dad and just my family overall like having that in the family. Yeah. I've often been annoyed at the term army brat 
Because, <laughs> you know, calling kids brats, it just seems like a mean thing. And I thought, God, I, yeah. I, I was an army brat too, but I don't like that mm. name. It's like an army brat. It's like a brat. There were so many kids in the military that were um, abused. You know that that, and I mean, God, look at the 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 what we're seeing now with you know v- veterans from all the other traumas that have happened. These mm. these vets that are murdering their wives and their kids. I think I was just one just happened recently on mm. on some of the bases. It's like it's it's a uh, it's a lot of suffering that they've had to endure. Our veterans. I mean. Yeah, there's this awesome Buddhist priest, I forget his name, but he was a Vietnam soldier. He actually killed a lot of people. I think he did kill people, but I listened to, I went to one of his webinars and it was really good. He he totally found the Buddhist teachings and now he's a Zen priest and mm. um, helps people heal. A lot of veterans, he does a lot of veteran retreats. Mm. Thich yeah. Nhat Hanh did a lot of good work with veterans too, which I think is important. Uh, remind me, who who is that? Thich Nhat Hanh, he's a, a famous Vietnamese Zen master who recently died. Um, mm. I think he died the past two years. Yeah, he's amazing. He founded like Plum Village and a kind of global network of uh, meditation communities. And he was... Um, he was exiled from Vietnam, but Martin Luther King recognized him early on and, mm. and um, was working with him back in the, during the Vietnam War times because Thich Nhat Hanh really spoke out vehemently mm. against the Vietnam War. Right. And he was exiled. And, but I like him. His, his teachings have helped me, um, just his teachings of kindness and mindfulness mm. and um, caring. And he's one of the teachers that I've admired. He he's he's just kept he he just kept going, you know, into his nineties. Just kept teaching. I remember once I was going through a really difficult time, just like really demoralized and grieving and feeling hopeless. And I had all these Buddhist magazines somebody gave me, and there was a picture of Thich Nhat Hanh in there. Mm. And just looking at the picture, I started weeping. Because it was so beautiful. He just had his hands, you know, on Anjali, uh, you know, Namaste. And it just was like, wow. Could you see it through the picture? Check him out. Thich Nhat Hanh. (laughs) I'll put it in my references. The end of suffering. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, I think you've been mentioning suffering and trauma and all of that. Um, And so I'll, I'll just sort of bring that in with, sort of meaty question which is yeah could you talk about your relationship with your body like how have your how have these experiences have your identities affected that and i notice you're grounding yourself and i think that's wise um and remember again that you talk about what you want to talk about and it doesn't have to be about trauma if you don't want it to be so Mm -hmm. Yeah. There is a guru, and his name is Patrick Carnes. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find him. He's one of, uh, I will call him a sexual recovery guru. Mm-hmm. And I want to share a quote that he wrote. Because yeah. it's seared into my consciousness. Mm-hmm. And it's been helpful for me over the years. He says, 
Research shows profound alterations in the neural pathways of the brains of trauma victims. These changes are fundamental to the neurochemistry of our sexuality. Neuro neurochemistry of addiction and the biochemistry of our sexuality. Mm. Taken together, a picture emerges of a series of neurochemical transactions that brings together post-traumatic stress following childhood sexual abuse, mm. genetic predisposition to addiction, and the chemistry of our, of our sexual functioning. The changes that occur are played out in the family and cultural systems which have primordial-like power. Mm. I think I got the quote right. And primordial is ancient. This goes mm. back like so, I think of like the trauma that's just embedded in cultures, you know, in the, the I've studied a little bit about epigenetic trauma, the trauma that gets passed from the mm. mother, you, you know, from the grandmother into the mother into the child. And I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Mm. And then trauma as anything that has a lasting emotional impact. And so, Gabor Mate's new book, The Myth of Normal, we've all been, ah, oh, you've got it right there, yeah. We've all been impacted by, by trauma. And, and there's all different types of trauma and it affects everybody differently. And in my experience of trauma, I did not have a happy childhood. Trauma became the norm. I learned very early on how to, you know, fight, run, freeze, and fawn which is the people pleasing. Mm. I, and I felt like I had to be perfect as a little kid, seriously. Mm. And I felt like what was going on in my home, there was a lot of addiction, untreated addiction, traumatized parents. I mean, God, my parents did the best they could, honestly, yeah. with what they went through. And then, all you know, there was a lot of secrets and lies. And, and it was a lousy job. Yeah, It was really a lousy job. But the, 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 the fact of it is, that was happening in most of the households at that time in the in the United States. And when we were living over in Europe, I mean, every family, the, the military, you know, they're not set up for health and well-being and <laughs> healthy families. It's like, yeah. yeah, let's send your dad to war college. Like the first early years of my life, my dad was at war college getting ready to go over to Vietnam. Mm. You know, so I didn't, there was this father wounding that, and you know, he was father wounded too. He was raised by a, a vet veteran who was also a heavy drinker and um and so yeah it impacted me it really impacted me and i learned um not to talk about anything mm. um not to trust my caregivers mm. and to suppress my feelings the feet the, the the main feeling in our family was i'm fine i'm fine we're fine and we learned how to dissociate and um and yeah, and just lie. And then I was just thinking about the traumas of religion. I grew up in the Catholic Church. You know, I survived intergenerational clergy abuse. I was queer. I mean, I was so queer. It was like, God, I wanted to do, I wanted to do ballet, right? I wanted to, um, I want to take ballet lessons. And and just because you want to take ballet doesn't mean you're queer. But I'm like, damn, I love dressing up in skirts. I was so non-binary as a kid. I liked, I liked playing with GI Joes. I liked playing with Barbies. I, I, um, I like, yeah, I liked it all. And, and, and I really feel like unconsciously Eden that my dad was trying to beat the queer out of me. I don't mm. think he, he was like, um, I think he knew the, the family knew I was queer. I mean, God, 
It's like it was very obvious. Benny. To- totally. My grandma, when I came up to my grandma, Magda, who who has deceased now, she said, I thought I was dropping a bombshell on her. I'm like, <laughs> and by the way, I'm gay. That's what I told her when I was like, I think I was like 20 something. Yeah. I'm like, and yeah, and by the way, I'm gay, Magda. And she's like, Benji, I always knew you were queer. <laughs> and part of me kind of pissed me off, but now I'm like, oh my God, I love it that she always knew I was queer. It's like, but then, but again, it's that thing of not talking. Right. It's like, yeah. well, God, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you, you know? And my, my mother was trying, she was on to me too, but then she was also being abusive about it. She didn't want a queer son. She, she like said, she was said homophobic things to me in the, you know, when I was growing up and, and, um, they nurtured my creativity, but it's almost like, okay, we got a queer, we got a queer kid on our hands, but let's, well, yeah, let's keep him in theater and music, but let's not talk about any of that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is I was Boy George at the um, high school lip sync contest and I won first prize. They let me do that. Mm-hmm. Like, cause you know, queerness, you can't, you can try to erase it. You can try to cover it up, but it's mm-hmm. going to come out. It's just going to keep <laughs> slipping yeah. out. You fucking can't hide it. And yeah. I was like socialized. I mean, seriously, I feel like my dad was probably, he had the male impersonator thing going. It's like, yeah, Vietnam vet, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm a, you know, I'm a man. But yeah. it's like, he, he was a victim of the patriarchy too. You know, it's like, here, put on this uniform. This is what men do. You know, they go off to Vietnam and, it's like my dad's creative. It's like, mm. and 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 um. You feel like he was playing a part. Yeah, he he was like playing playing the soldier part, and you know, and then the wounded male, and and my queerness was just like coming out in spades, and I'm seeing it now. It's like a gift. It's like that. It's it's a it's it's a gift, and it's not. It's just part of part of part of who I am. I and you know I love it. There's this saying, it says, we're all a little crooked. Mm. We're all a little crooked. It's like, will there be a time when we just, it's like, hey, yeah, you're you're queer. You're with a man. You're with a woman. It's like, this is what kind of bugs me right now with this, what's happening. Because it's like, well, if you're gay, this is what you have to behave like. And if you're trans, this is what you got to do. <laughs> it's like, I listened to this old trans man speak. And he said, you know what? He goes, there's thousands of ways to be trans. Mm. There really are. You, d- you don't have to. Can't, can't we just be, yeah. you know? And then people get into all this crazy-ass shit um, about, well, you know, I think it's fear. They get fear, and then they vilify people. You know, we're coming. They're coming for your kids now. I mean, they were doing that back in the day. With, with, with uh, gay people. Yeah. yeah. Well, with in the trans people, too, you know. They're coming back for... Back in the day as well. Well, yeah, when I was, like, coming out in my... I mean, I guess I'm kind of old. I'm not like, I'm not. <laughs> You're ancient. I, am I? Oh my God. No, I love it. I love, I embrace my age. Um, I remember having a family member try to talk me out of coming out as gay in like the 1980s. Mm. They're like, they were trying to talk me into being bisexual. Because <laughs> you know, anything but gay. I mean, God, back back in the day, man, HIV. And, right. I mean, everyone was like, you know, vilifying gay men. Because of AIDS, you yeah. know, and and then seeing all that happen, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm. I, I like the saying. I like the saying. I'm here, and I'm queer. Yeah. In in in, there's not one way to be queer either. Yeah. 
you know, and this, it, it's kind of disconcerting to me too, Eden, because it seems like it's like we're going back, we're going back, we're taking steps backwards. Mm. It's like, it's like, or, or you can only be queer this way. This is only the right, you know, you get married legally and you adopt kids. You're, you're mainstream. Yeah, me, be a mainstream queer and kind of how the, 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 the movement has been hijacked, I think, by corporate. It's like the corporate queer. I, I hear this accent coming out. I'm wondering, like, where did you... I know that you grew up partially in Germany. Where else did you grow up? Like, well, Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest, okay. Yeah, and I have all these different parts that come out. Okay. <laughs> I was just like, is part of your family Southern? Is Southern just the your language of prejudice? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Well, I've thought about the this. Language of prejudice. I've thought about this quite a bit and I've mentioned yeah. it on this podcast before of how um, in movies, but other places too, the Southern accent um, is, is used for um, people who are stupid mm -hmm. um, or evil um, and, and racism and like prejudice is mm -hmm. one of them. So that's why I'm like, are you just using the Southern accent for some prejudice here? I could be. Thank you for pointing that out because, yeah, sometimes, like, I will equate, I'm othering too. Here, I'm othering mm. those people, you know, people, people like in the deep, deep South is, mm. is, um, yeah, I could be. That's interesting. You know, I did spend some time down in Texas last October and I experienced a lot of love and hospitality mm. and people that had like really heavy Texas accents and, um, and and so yeah, I I God, I've got my biases too. Yeah, well, you, you know, it's it's interesting. So, so I I don't sound southern at all, except for sometimes. But like, you know, and I I grew up in a family that I think has gotten quite good at speaking standard English. But you know, my mom's parents grew up in Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, my dad, dad's parents grew up in Pennsylvania, but they they moved to one of the southern states later on, a place that maybe some people wouldn't consider very southern, and that's fair. So I, I haven't grown up with the accent except like, you know, certain relatives of mine do, um, and you know, I, I would say that my family has probably the least amount of an accent, but it, you know, I grew up saying, uh, bless her heart, you know, like that sort of stuff. And like, there's certain words that I say that, um, it's because I have family that's in the South. Um, so, and I know that I have my own biases, like against the South. And I know certainly I'm like, I don't want to live in the South. Like, um, you know, I, that's not something I want to do. It's not just the heat. It's like, you know, I worry about, I do worry about prejudice and how do I balance out the reality of some of the prejudice that I would face. And then also the fact that those are people and they're smart and they are, there's a lot of hospitality, like true hospitality that mm -hmm. is present there. So it's something I think about quite a bit. It is too. I do have to say I love accents too. Mm -hmm. 
And I think living overseas and getting to hear the German accents and the different countries that we travel to, yeah. I've always loved accents and languages too. I've like sing, I can sing in four different languages. Yeah. And, um, and so there's that, but then there is my bias too. And then the way the media biases things, you know, mm. it's like, you know, politics. I mean, and it's, it's no fact that a lot of the Southern senators are really homophobes and, you know, super white supremacist with those accents. And, um, but, but I was thinking of um, a quote from Sherman Alexie. He said, don't live up to your stereotypes. Cause then there's also, you know, there's, there's like a queer persona too. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know, who would I be without, who, who am I without these um, labels? You right. know, who am I? What, what, to, to me, that's an ongoing contemplation and, um, you know, how can I drop it all? Just drop it all and just be, you know, a kind human being. Mm. And I think traveling is helpful too. Mm. Getting to know pe- di- different people, you know, yeah. having different friends. and um, But, and, and you know, it's like, there's just so, yeah, there's so much... Um, People are amazing. Humanity is incredible. Right. All of these languages and accents. And it's like, yeah. You live in a sort of lower income housing with people who, refugees, immigrants. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Somalia, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Tigray. Vietnam, Cambodia, um, Sudan, and, you know, the United States, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I'm really grateful for the community I live in. I'm really grateful that I came to this city that I live in in the 70s, and then we moved away. Well, then we came back from Germany, and I'm so grateful. Yeah, I am. Um... What is it about this place that you're grateful for? The thing that I am grateful for right now, this place that I live in, it's like a heaven realm <laughs> from the spring to the summer. The earth, the water, the trees, the greenery. Mm. Um, yeah, the Pacific Northwest is beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. And everything's alive and the trees are green. There's a lot of light. There's birds. There's fresh water, clean air. Um, there's subsidized housing. Mm. There are resources. But I think the city's being taxed too. But I'm just, I'm just grateful, yeah, that I'm in in the situation where I'm, I'm at. Because um, there's parts of the country right now I would not want to be living in, and and the world. Yeah. I mean, God, the amount of, yeah. We have good. I know people complain, but I'm very grateful for our public transportation. Mm. Yeah, because that that is what you rely on. I know. Yeah. I'm grateful for the bus. Um, I think more people need to ride the bus, actually. I think it would help them. Mm. Everyone's in their cars, you know, mm. wearing a mask <laughs> <laughs> by themselves. Yeah, but I do remember when that was happening all the time. It's like, 
Um, I, yeah, so, because I, I grew up overseas and in Russia and Ukraine and, well, I guess less so the Philippines, but like in, definitely in Russia and Ukraine, that is the primary way that you get around is uh, mashutkas or opasas. You know, oh, I thought you were going to say wearing a mask <laughs> in a car. <laughs> By yourself. Um, yeah, you know, because I never lived there during the pandemic my um my in-laws would be able to to talk more about that um i think it was a bit of a mess but you know so that's that's what i grew up doing and then moving to america it is a very different experience because you have to rely on cars so much of the time because america is specifically built for cars um that you know there was a time where the car companies put the buses out of business so that we we don't have a very good bus system and it's not built for it um it would be difficult to make a really good public transportation system in certain parts of america so yeah i'm just i'm aware of just the ability to, and and also these cities don't tend to be very walkable. Um, where we are at is fairly walkable, but it's nothing like what I grew up with, where it's like you just walk out of the house and within a five minute walk, there's a store that you can buy stuff at. And everything's interesting because mm-hmm. you don't have zoning issues. Mm. Everything is mixed zoning, um, which means that you can have living uh, re- residents and restaurants and grocery stores, all that sort of stuff in the same area. Uh, whereas in many places in America, those are separate. I like how you say America. Yeah. It, America, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure other countries too, but zoning is, is like this. I, I really don't like the way things are zoned. <laughs> um, and it does separate us, um, you know, because you when you use the bus, and I don't use the bus very often here, um, but when you use the bus, you just bump into, you literally bump into a lot of people, and you sort of have to interact with other humans in a way that when you're in your car, it's very individual and you're very alone. It's interesting, too. I feel like my experience is there's mm. people that have their cars. There's Yes. But I went to this um, workshop about horizontal power before the lockdowns. It was part of Martin Luther King Day and this Venezuelan activist. She said, you're living in the belly of the beast in this city with the yeah. corporate capitalism. And and that there's two. There's there's this for the rich people that ride these fancy white buses out yeah. to the, the tech companies. And then yeah. there's the public transportation. And you can tell, like, you can see the classism on the buses. Yes. Because it's like, you can see the people that, like, probably have some money and they're taking the bus maybe to their fancy home through a rough area of town. And <laughs> Well, you know, and I'm one of the people who has a car and I live most of my life in a car. And the times that I take the bus are when I'm going downtown um, because you don't want to park downtown. <laughs> I do have to say, during the lockdowns, the bus was amazing because <laughs> it was free and it was like the Wild West. Nobody was driving, you know, everyone was locked up. Yeah. And so the buses, man, these drive 
drivers, they were so cool because they would just like, I could get around town so quick yeah. and they go so fast yeah. and all the windows were open. It'd be like the wild west. I felt like I was on a stagecoach yeah. and not that many people were riding, Yeah, you know, so it was like, woo, yay for public transportation. Um, but, you know, I'm concerned, too, because now the bus drivers, you know, they're getting affected by all the meth. You mm. know, there's a lot of stuff going on where people, well, people are suffering and they're doing drugs and then that smoke affects people on the buses. Yeah. I've had to do, I've, I've had to say something before, you know, say, hey, hey, stop that. <laughs> and then tell yeah. the driver, hey, that's not okay to be smoking that on the bus, you know. And then people are like, smoking what? I'm not smoking anything. And I'm like, then I'm like, just, yeah, you know, choose your battles, right? Because yeah. you can get killed open in your mouth. Yeah. I, you know, I, you know, I've talked to you about this before, but like I worked with, you know, people who are homeless and people with severe mental illness and people who smoke or inject meth. And, and of course, so I, I have this sort of, you know, multiple experiences of really caring for these folk who, as you say, uh, are suffering and meth is a, a difficult drug to get off of your, I think it takes like two years before you, the cravings stop, mm -hmm. um, like the physical cravings, right? Mm -hmm. That's not even talking about like psychological cravings. It's a tough one. And, and yet it is also so physically and emotionally just destructive. So, and I just thought of this, um, but like, it's very connected to um, sex addiction, mm -hmm. like sex. A lot of people who have one have the other usually. Yeah. I would say meth and fentanyl too. Yes. Cause yeah. that's usually a way of coming down after yeah. the meth. It's yeah. really sad. I see. Yeah, there's a lot of suffering going on with that. You know, I was going to go back to what you were saying, talking about embodiment and trauma and that question, how do you how do you experience your body? Yes. yes. I was thinking, I've been contemplating this for a long time because we've been talking about doing this interview for a while and finally <laughs> causes and conditions came together for us to meet. Thank you. And um, I was thinking about my sense, my sense perceptions. Mm. In my sense gates, like how do I experience my body? Well, through my, um, you know, hearing and mm. taste, yeah. touch, touch yeah. seeing. I, I can see, smell, mm -hmm. and and um, and it's like yeah, my body is this big. It's it's like this organism that's like alive and mm. it's like pulsating and. It's, it's a river. It's nature itself. And mm -hmm. I've been swimming a lot in the lake and just having these really healing experiences and then spending time in nature. I think I, I feel a lot of embodiment and connection to nature and, and connecting to the nature of my body because I think in my experience was growing up in the culture that I grew up in, it was a disembodied disembodiment mm -hmm. as, yeah. as, a, as a child of trauma um, survivor. Yeah. Um, someone who was victimized, who had to go out of my body. I think that's the nature of trauma. It like mm -hmm. shocks, 
shocks the nervous system. I had a shattered nervous system as a child. In fact, people would often say I looked like a deer in the headlights because Mm -hmm. I was. I was like stunned. And and so I experienced my body as, um, I think I was out of it for a lot of my upbringing and it wasn't a safe place to be or to explore and I used self-soothing behaviors to I think protect myself soothe myself but then those you know those were connected to compulsive things too so those Mm. turn on you too and there's so many ways that we human beings use to self-soothe but um I um I became disembodied and I felt like I was in the, the hungry ghost realm. Mm. Um, you know, the hungry ghost, it's like someone with a really, a small mouth and like a long neck and then a big belly and they can't get full. Mm. It's just like, um, so yeah, disembodiment. And so, yeah, the, my path of, um, connecting to my heart and, um, my breath. And I think my grief too. I think there's something about the grief is the pathway, the 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 metabolizing the loss, you know, the joy, the joyful sorrow. It comes out of going through going into, I mean going going into my body. Mm. And it's like, oh, I have to make friends with it, with all of it. I mean, seriously, it's like God, my genitals, my um just yeah and it, it's taken a long time Eden I feel like I'm getting to a point now maybe it's just because I keep coming back you know to the healing path I keep I keep doing the best I can one day at a time trying to use my gifts be there for other people and I've been having some experiences lately where I'm like I'm enough I'm okay mm. I'm okay this body is okay it's mm. like my body has scars on it um, from trauma I have a lot of scars on my body and I feel sad talking about it right now, but, but I'm okay. And I'm beautiful, you know, I'm beautiful. And, and, um, and I think too, well, my experience, queer culture, what men are supposed to look like, what women are supposed to look like, the hyper, hyper masculinization of gay men. I read this book once called The Adonis Complex and then how that's changed over the generations. Mm. And that's why I'm like, I'm like, you know, traditional gender to me, it's old and moldy. (laughs) And we have to evolve. Nobody's talking about erasing men and women. I mean, it's just like, come on, can we open our hearts and minds more? Can we be, why do we have to be, be so hateful and, and, um, why can't we all be welcome? And why can't we just like celebrate our bodies? I just think of, um, yeah, I, I guess I just have grief around it, but I have been going to the beaches and seeing a lot of topless people. And um, and I think it's healthy to swim nude. And I found out it's not illegal to be yeah. nude in the city that I live in. Yeah. Not that I'm going to go all nude. Maybe I'll swim nude during the full moon by myself, mm. which is fun. But we do have nude beaches where I live, and um, I try to stay away from the big nude ones because there's kind of a, there can be like a weird vibe there. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, as someone who, you know, is recovering from trauma, recovering from, um, 
you know, in sexual recovery, what, yeah, what is that like? It sounds like it's a really healing experience. Going to the nude beach? Yeah. It's liberating for me. And I'm not going to the nude beach. I'm going to a, a place where some of the oh, okay. women are topless. Yeah. And like... Which I know, guess doesn't really affect you yeah. all that much. Well, I mean... I think the female body is beautiful, but yeah. I don't like, you know, get a boner when I see <laughs> um, You know, yeah. and I am so... Like I said, I'm in my 50s, so I'm the generation of the 80s. I don't know what... Am I... What am I? What generation? If I was born... I, you know, yeah. Gen Z, whatever. What, I never yeah. paid attention to that stuff, but I... The, the doc that I go to, it's a lot of folks, and they're like, I would say, 30s, 20s and 30s. Okay. And you get the old person there occasionally, like I'm saying in their 60s or 70s. But I'm inspired by these young ones... They're just like, yeah, man, I can, I can be topless. What's, you know, and I grew up in Germany, right? So there was topless. You'd see grandma at the beach, topless. Yeah, well, that sometimes happens. A lot. And I'm just like, God, why? It's like, why do we freak out so much about women's breasts? I mean, on social media, you can't even put a topless woman. Yeah. But you can put a topless man because we've like, we've sexualized it so bad. So for me, I'm part of me. I feel like I'm getting more open-minded and progressive as I get older in some issues and then other issues I get more conservative, <laughs> you know, but it's like, I, I, um, I like it. I, I need to keep healing and, and, and really make friends with my body even because I have been at war with my body over the years. I struggled mm -hmm. with like food, food stuff. I've always thought, uh, you know, I'm not man enough or I'm not, mm. <laughs> hey Lord. It's like, can I just make friends with my body? That is ah. a question. Huh? That is a question. Yeah. Just be at peace. It's like, I love you. You've gotten me this far. Thank you. I have I have this precious, precious body that, that's just, um, I want to keep it healthy. Mm. You know, because it's like, how do we, well, how do we, how do we awaken through our bodies? Yeah. That's how we experience awakenment through the body. Yeah. And, and it's like, if I'm doing all these, I was doing addictive practices yeah. to shut the flow down, you know, to, to um, constrict the energy and putting toxins into my body, into my, my Amazon rainforest, <laughs> you know, I was poisoning it with, with um, Roundup and, <laughs> and, and all the things we do to poison, poison our bodies. And I think too, it's like right now, it's like, technology can become a poison too i have to really be careful with my yeah staring at a screen you know and it, something breaks my heart too because i know a lot of people they're working in tech they're staring at screens all day and yeah. then they're doing the recovery on all on screens and i can see the exhaustion yeah in the younger generation's faces it's just like oh my god are we creating this this culture of just like, you know, I am on Zoom 24 7. I don't need to see people. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, did you hear so and so died? Well, I haven't seen them in five years, but there's going to be a Zoom memorial. <laughs> and yeah. And so, I think, I think there, there's a lot of people who are just tired of it. Um, yeah. Instead of bring back the Zoom, we could say bring back the room. <laughs> bring back. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so grateful because I'm going to a retreat at the end of the summer. It was postponed for three years. 
And now they're, we're going to have a live retreat on a lake with people and get to sing and dance. No nude swimming. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, connect with community, the, re the resource of community, which is so important. And you know, I got called in once because I made a comment in a recovery space about I was called transphobic and ableist <laughs> by an activist. And I was a younger person. Part of me was a little pissed because mm. I'm like, what do you mean transphobic and ableist? And um, and we talked about it on text. We, you know, we had a loving interchange. We talked about it, reasoned it out. Yeah. And I felt like we came to an understanding. And, and it was just interesting because it's like I realized, too, for a lot of people, Zoom recovery is the only means that they have to connect. Yeah. They can't get out of the house. And so it's a lifeline. And, and so not everyone has the privilege of getting out to face-to-face -face meetings. And um, and then I think a lot of us are lazy, too. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that myself. I was like, I could do that. Or, yeah. Um, yeah. I was just, you know, listening to what you were saying about, like, how you've been at war with your body and trying to love your body. And... You know, I think um, I I believe in the idea of loving my body. Like that is something I, a belief of mine that, that I think is important. Um, but I recognize that's not always where I am. And right now I'm in a place where I, I feel such anger at my body. Um, partially as someone who's trans and partially as someone who's experienced trauma. I'm just like, why why don't you work the way that I want you to work, you know, or why don't you heal fast enough? Why aren't you the way that I want you to be? You know, and and I've I've felt grief about the way that I've treated my body in the last, you know, week or so. Mm. Um and I, I think it's it's really beautiful to watch you hug yourself and and pat yourself and like you know, be caring in those ways, you know, that it's, it's a lot of work to care for yourself and to care for your body. I hear you self care. Yeah. Cause I was taught that I didn't have any needs growing up. And, and then as a person in sexual recovery, I sexualize my needs, mm. you know, I didn't, Eden, I didn't discover masturbation until I was like a teenager. And it was like, oh. Then I sexualized, you know, all my needs. It's like, I used to think compulsive masturbation was you had to do it six times a day. But it was like, and I think we all go through a period developmentally where we compulsively masturbate. I mean, whatever gender you are, because it's just, you know, hormones and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, I am, yeah, I was just taught, I mean, the Christian teachings too about the body, the church that I was raised in, they were, you know, original sin. You're born an original sinner. You're born from original sin. The body yeah. is, it's, it's bad, yeah. you know, and ple pleasure is bad. And then you add queerness on top of it. And yeah. you're just like, oh my God, I'm going to hell. 
that was that was my biggest fear yeah. that I was going to burn in hell. Yeah, that was oh, and I saw pictures of Satan when I was a kid, and I was like, wow, I'm going to burn in hell. And I didn't even know why. And then and then you know as I got older, and then I'm reading in high school, it's like oh. And then the Catholic Church back at that time they were saying that it's an it's an intrinsic moral evil. I mean, I, I just mainstream religion did a number on me. And then of course you had the clergy victimization, and it's just yeah. It's like yeah, I had this. It's like I I hated. I had a, a love hate relationship with my body, mm. and and it's like um, and you know when I look back in hindsight now, if I could say anything to that child. It's just like I love you. I love you. You're 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 precious, valuable, worth protecting, and lovable. It's like your your body's beautiful. Your your body is just beautiful. And, and um, it's like I'm beginning to see too. It's like there's so much beauty. I mean, I was. I think the queer aesthetic can sometimes be very toxic too, because it's like mm -hmm. trying to match. You know, oh well, I have to look like this. This is what a man looks like, or right. this is what a woman looks like, and this is what it's. It's like uh, this is, you know, trying to get this unrealistic per perfection. I yeah. mean, perfectionism. It's it's maddening, and it's like I think it's healthy to see all different types of bodies. I mean, we all mm. we all have different bodies, and and what I'm realizing, Eden. Only a small percentage of people win the lottery of like looking like they have the perfect body. Right. And sometimes when I talk to people that look like they have perfect bodies, mm. I find out they've had a history of eating disorders right. and they've hated their bodies too. You know, I'm like, God, if I had a body like that, I don't think I'd have any problems. Right. Yeah. Now, sometimes I think too, you know, I'm, I've said this so many times, I think I have some age neuroses. I'm in my 50s. But, <laughs> I have, you know, male pattern baldness, right? Yeah. And sometimes I think I look at, I have hair envy big time. Like I look at men my age. I saw this guy the other night. He's visiting and um, from Tucson, I think. And he had, the, he's like in his late 60s. He had this full head of hair, lion's mane of hair. Yeah. So beautiful. And he probably doesn't like do anything special for it. Yeah. But I was just looking at him thinking, wow. Look at that, and I thought, boy, if I had if I had that much hair, I'd probably be I'd probably feel way better. But you know what? I used to have a full head of hair like that. Mm. I used to have long, flowing, gorgeous hair, and I was always so uptight. I never wore it down because I'd often get mistaken for a woman. Like I get whistled at, I get catcalled, and that was uncomfortable yeah. getting that kind of attention. And then you know, you get older, my hair falls out. I think. I think there were things environmentally that made my hair fall out in medications that I took. But um, I know that I know people with full heads of hair, men, and they're not happy. Mm. You know, it's it's like it's like always looking for something outside of myself to fix me. Mm. And it's like and that's, I think, my ongoing thing. It's like, what's that? I've talked a lot about Buddhism, but it's like, you know, the, the third noble truth of Buddhism is happiness. Yeah. It's like the cessation of suffering. And it's like. Um, how do I, how do I just be happy and accept in an acceptance yes. of all of it? Of, and, and I mean, I'm aging now too, you know, yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing changes happen. Like with my vision, with, you know, I, I've had a major dental revision, my skin. Um, I think I look pretty good for in my fifties, but, um, it's, uh, 
you know, this body will be a corpse someday. Mm. And, and, um, I real realized that my time is limited and yeah, what do I want to do? Someone told me, well, you should get a hair transplant. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God, no, thanks. It's like, could wear a wig. Well, you have. You've worn um, you've worn that red wig before, Cassie. right? Cassie. Yeah. Her name's Cassie. <laughs> that is the wig's name is Cassie. But that's just for fun and yeah. just, I mean, letting those parts come out and play. I think if I think if more people let their parts come out and play, we'd be happier. Yeah. You know, because you know, you know, a lot of conservative people that are like vilifying the trans community. They just want to dress up. Is what they want to do. I think they want to bring. They want to let those parts of them out. They can't be um, expressed because we've all, we all have these different parts. It's like, (laughs) what do you think about that? Oh, Oh, I have a number of thoughts from a number of things that you've said. Um, This is not related directly to that, uh, but I was sort of wondering if, if you could just have the body that you had when you were younger, Again, would you want it? Ooh, if I could just have the body that I had when I was younger, would I want it? And you would keep you would keep like your life experiences. You wouldn't just become younger. You would keep like the wisdom that you've you know developed over time, um, the experiences, stuff like that. But would you want that body? Hmm. That is such a good question. Would you? <laughs> but you're young. You're what? How old are you? I'm 32. 32. Yeah, you're pretty young. Yeah. I am too. I mean, God. Yeah. I'm 50. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ask it because, um, actually, I had a friend on here who I think was making the assumption that... Um, that everyone sort of wants to have a physically younger body. And, and I was sort of wondering about that. I was like, you know, I guess like none of us want to be in, in pain, like, you know, things like that, or certainly not that kind of pain, you know, but I sort of wondered like, well, would we, would we even gain this? Like if our bodies didn't physically age, would we grow in the ways that like, could we grow in the ways that we've grown? Right. Mm. I I don't know. I've sort of wondered about it. um, And, and of course there's ways of, I don't know. It's something that I I think about and I'm like, you know, I don't want to just assume that someone doesn't want to age just because our idea of like our ideal body is this young body so, which if you, if you're like, yes, I would want a younger body, that's totally fine. I'm just, I'm curious about that from someone who uh, isn't old, but is older than I am, certainly. You know what? It's interesting. I would say today, no, I am right exactly where I'm supposed to be. I love this body. I love mm-hmm. the, 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 I feel like I've, I've earned it. Mm-hmm. It's like I've gone, I've gone through some really rough times and I've been at such war with my body, you know. I've I've harmed my body, I've harmed other bodies, um, and and it's like I 
I feel grateful for this body that has kept, it's kept me, it's, it's been a container for mm. all that I've gone through and that, that, um, that's helped me. So yeah, I feel like I've been making friends with my body and, um, and loving, loving on myself. And it's interesting too, because I'm, I, um, I've been single for a long time. You know, and it's like, yeah, who, who am I without a relationship? Who am I if I'm going through a period of sexual celibacy? Mm. You know, what, what is, what does it all mean? What's queerness? What, what does it mean to be LGBTQIA2S plus? I mean, what, mm. who am I? I think that's an ongoing question. And, um, and I really do believe though, in taking care of myself, I think, um, as a trauma trauma survivor as an advocate it's it's like you know rest rest is so important mm. exercise you know mm. nutrition and and um health and well-being and and unplugging from the um the electricity mm. <laughs> i think When I say that too, I mean I, I mean like technology. Mm. I think that's a really important aspect of self care. Because I feel like there's all these forces that are trying to drag me down and and not wanting me to be healthy. I've often said the system is rigged. Mm. It's like the system's rigged. It wants it's it wants us. It wants me drugged and dumbed down. And those of us that are on a path of, you know, waking up and mm. and um, returning to health. Recovery, recovery is a return to health, stability, clarity, and strength. It's it's like we're we're the cycle breakers, and we're breaking the generational curses, individually and collectively in community. So we don't pass it on, you know. Because it's like, what am I passing on? I think that's an ongoing question. What do I what do I want to do? I want to pass on peace, gentleness, and compassion, or greed, anger? Greed, anger, and delusion. Because I look at the young people coming up. It's like your generation. You know, mm. you're a younger generation than me. It's like, Lord, look at what you, you, you all have inherited. Mm. I mean, <laughs> we have our own mess. Yeah, I'm just like, gosh. And and you know, and I think too. I love how you say the mess. Yeah, keep the mess. Um, imperfection is the fuel that generates the genuine compassion, mm. and the mess is where the magic is. Right. Because um, it's not all going to get cleaned up. I mean, I'm not going to solve all the world's problems in this this lifetime, or even my own. I mean, I didn't I didn't cause them. I can't cure them. I can't control them. Yeah. I can contribute to them by working on myself, doing my work yeah. one day at a time, and you know, trying to just have more of a caring, open heart. Because it's it's um, it's. It's it seems maddening sometimes to me, and I can just get sucked into it too. And then there's that despair. It's like, well, God, why why try anything then? Why don't we just you know? I'm I'm caught on your use of the word delusion. You've used it a couple times, mm -hmm. and you know I I've worked with people you know with who experience psychosis and. And also, like, being someone who's queer, being someone who's trans specifically, um, and the language of being called delusional, right? Um, and also just being, you know, someone who's experienced trauma and 
there's often language of, of you're delusional or like you don't know what you're talking about. So like that's like my body's just like, what 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 do you mean by by delusional? And what what is what are these delusions that you think are important to wake up from? Thank you. When I say delusion too, like in more of a modern text, it could be denial. Okay. You know, and there's that denial, don't even know I'm lying. It's like mm. the lies I tell myself, mm. the, the lies I'm told from my culture about who I am, yeah. you know, what I am. Um, I think that can go in all kinds of directions, like with gender and in, in, um, let's bring it back to me though. Um, my denial, the denial of addiction, mm. I think too. The denial of my basic goodness and, mm. and other people's. It's like if I can't even see, affirm my own inherent awakened nature, how am I going to be able to see it anybody else? If I really believe that, that people are, you know, basically bad mm. and that, 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 are, that, that there's only one way to heal them, you mm. know? Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to be in denial because what I'm realizing, the further I go, the less I know. And the prescription's different for everybody. Situations are individualistic. Mm. Um, and what is the truth for me? It's like, what's mm. what's my truth? What's Ben's truth? And and it could be different from your truth. Mm. It's it's like, like, it brings me back to what we were talking about in the beginning. It's like the truth is multidimensional and we all hold a piece of it. And, and it's like, it's like, to thine own self be true. That was the last words of the historical Buddha. They say, if you believe that, um, and they write that on recovery coins, to thine own self be true. Be ye refugees unto yourself. To me, it's, it's, it's even a broader implication. It's the true self, which is inseparable with God. Mm. You know, G-O-D, um, the kingdom of God is within. And if, if that true self is inseparable with a higher power or whatever you want to call it, mm. how how can anybody be be separate from that? How can we even have enemies? Mm. You know? And in and, and people I think from the delusions, there there's I like to go back to Buddhist teachings because I've study practice and um practice study Buddhism. They talk about the the there there's these two veils. There's these veils of delusion and yeah. may they be lifted. And there's these these uh, one one of the veils is the veil of conflicting emotions. Mm. We like we think our emotions are real, right? You know, it's like feelings are just feelings; they come and go, like the weather. So, what do you mean by real? There, like um, saying that emotions aren't real. Well, they don't inherently exist. Like when I really go into my, if I sit with my anxiety, it's yeah. like I'm sitting with it, and I'm like. Hmm. What's this anxiety? You know, and I just, I just bring awareness to it. It's like, oh, well, there's some sadness with it. Mm. Oh, there's even fear. For me, it all gets back to the broken heart. It's, it's, mm. it's like the emotion, the emotions. They're, they're like clouds in the sky. They, they go through like the weather. It's like sometimes mm. the emotions are big and they're stormy and electrical. Sometimes there's, they're just mellow. Other times they're rainy and wet. They're, but they just, they just change. There's not, you can't, my experience, I can't, my emotions pass, they change, mm. you know, 
it's it's like if I get stuck in depression, it could feel like, oh wait, they're mm. they're never gonna go away. This has been with me for for my okay. whole life. And you're talking was, about the transient nature. Transient nature of the illusory nature of emotions. Okay, because because when I hear emotions n- not real, I'm like, mm, you know, like uh, I I my, my suspicion. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the times when people hear that, certainly when I hear that, I feel very suspicious. Yeah, well, emotions are compounded, so they're impermanent, they change, and they, they don't inherently exist, because it's like, okay, well, where's your sadness? Well, <laughs> Oh, meaning like the physical, like it's not a, a physical, um, okay. Yeah, or like when you say to someone, well, you're sad, you're angry, you're happy, that's, I mean, that's a judgment too. It's like, well, anger usually is a secondary emotion, there's usually something underneath it. And right. I was going to go back to the, the, the veil of conflicting emotions and then primitive beliefs about reality. We have these ideas of who we really think mm. we are, but they're just, they're just ideas, you know? Yeah. It's like, I'm so much more than, you know, the Walt Whitman, I'm larger than life, greater than I thought I contain multitudes. I never knew I held such goodness. It's like, and all beings have that goodness. All beings are basically good, kind, wise, and strong. And even society, the the degraded aspects of this society don't define its fundamental nature, which is primordially awake and um, pure and clear. It's like, in in I I think that um, I I, I throw a lot of quotes out because I like to read a lot. But mm-hmm. there's this um, priest named Richard Rohr that I really like. Oh yeah, yeah. He talks about mysticism. It's when God's presence becomes experiential, right. not intellectual, undoubted and undoubted. Mm. That's what I find in nature. It's like I find I, I connect to the God out in nature, and um, and you know, I'm not like saying you have to find God. I think, I think it's individual for everybody. But I am on a path. I'm on a spiritual path, definitely. And um, I I have to keep staying on the path. Yeah, because I, 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 I have a design for living that inc- includes spirituality. And um, I think that's what's going to heal the planet, is he- healing people's hearts and minds or souls, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And people coming together and finding commonality and and seeing each other and recognizing the basic goodness in all the situations you know mm. even even the the suffering addict on the street who's who's it, it breaks my heart you know when i pass by someone on the street who's laying with their pants down you know from an overdose and people just walk by it's just we've become that numb in the city i live in people just walk by sometimes i walk by too or i'll try to say a prayer but um, yeah, my heart breaks with it all. I've also been told too that um, and then you know I've been told things, but then how do I experience? It's like yeah, the tender heart of sadness. Can I embrace it? Can I really embrace it and allow the world to break my heart and just let it keep breaking? Because the more it breaks and the more it opens, then the more it can contain and then the more love I have. Because I get I get scared too, Eden. I get like, you know, oh my God, the, you know, I have to head to the hills and live off the grid. <laughs> and, you know, 
Maybe I will have to do that. I don't know. I had family members that did that back in the 70s, but for different reasons. Mm. I had an aunt and uncle that lived up in a cabin off the grid. It was kind of fun. But yeah, gosh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, just you talking about sadness. And I think, I think so many of us try to escape sadness. I, I know that I do. It's whether we're, you know, I think a lot of times with anger, anger is, an, a, a, you know, an emotion that is also difficult to experience but is often, you know, masking sadness. I know in parents, I see them do it to their kids. You're not sad. You're fine. You know, mm. the kids in pain, they're like, you're fine. You're okay. And I'm like, I'm going to be like, no, they're not. They're, they're sad. They're grieving. I have a little color wheel that a therapist friend gave of me, and it's a, a identifying all the emotions. It's like, mm. well, what do you feel? What is it? Where is it in your body? What color is it? Does it have a texture? And kids are really good with it. They'll like engage unless the kid's like super traumatized because yeah i mean when i was a kid it's like how are you i'm fine i'm fine yeah. you know when i would cry sometimes as a child eden i would get shamed literally emotionally shamed and it's like oh god okay sadness isn't okay you know it's funny that i connect so much with the buddhist teachings because it's like oh the tender heart of sadness place place the mind of fear in the cradle of loving kindness you know and hold that little precious, valuable, worth-protecting child, that inner child is like, I love you. It's okay. You can you can cry, you know. Mm. It's okay to be sad. I don't want to be engulfed with it and, like, go into, like... I remember once I was grieving the loss of my partner. He was a Puerto Rican, and I was playing this really, like, intense, passionate, lamenting Puerto Rican music. Mm. And I was like on my knees in my apartment, just like milking it and bawling and just like, oh, he died young when I was yeah. young, like probably the age you are now. And it was hard. It was really rough. God, I love that man. So in love with him. And I called one of my support people in recovery and he goes, turn that music off and get out of the house and take a walk. Because, <laughs> you know, I was really, I mean. Sometimes it's good to break it up a little. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, there's there's the importance of grief and of mourning, and then there's also, yeah, emotional flooding. Emotional, <laughs> yeah, emotional flooding. Um, and yeah. wouldn't it be cool if we lived in a culture where people are like, "How are you? I'm sad. Oh, I hear you. I give you a hug. It's like." Or how how are you? I, I'm anxious. <gasps> what are you anxious about? You don't need to. <laughs> you know, it's like mm. it's like Rose trying to fix people too. It's like, oh, I hear you're sad. You want to talk about it? Oh, you don't? Okay. It's like I remember when I was in the psych hospital a couple three years ago um, for suicidality. There was there were a couple of people there who who like. Well, one person in particular, like, I think stubbed their toe or something. It was, it was something small um, and made, like, a very loud noise about it and was like, ouch. And, like, and in my head, I was thinking, shut the fuck up. Like, I don't, like, who cares about your little pain? Like, 
I don't. And 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 this is from someone who like, you know, has, um, you know, been in a helping profession and has been very empathetic towards people and all this stuff. But like, there are certain things that like trigger me like that. And, you know, I know that came from the way that my emotions were dealt with um, by people who were doing their best, you know, of, uh, and I think I have felt it of sometimes when I show and share emotion, I feel like I'm performing because I'm not pulling it back because I'm not hiding it. I'm like, well, no, but like I, I'm, I'm, I'm making way too big of a deal of it right now. And it's, like no actually you actually just feel that um but yeah sadness sadness is one i think it's very difficult for us to admit is there because there is a fear of it enveloping us consuming us and my experience with the sadness has been uh i love this quote joy is your sorrow unmasked the more it can go into the sadness metabolize it and sometimes that has to be in safe spaces could be with a therapist could just be on a meditation cushion the more i can metabolize it then i can feel the joy because it's like it's just my tender heart i've heard the anxiety referred to as shaky tenderness i'm a human being i mean my god if, if we were fully embodied 24 7 we couldn't handle it I've quoted you before in this podcast as talking about that, that we can't be present all the time. Right. I mean, it'd be like a heightened sense of neurosis. Maybe other people can. I mean, I certainly can. I'm grateful for denial and dissociation. I'm grateful for the drugs that I did. I'm, you know, because mm. it's like if I, if I would have had to experience all of that, yeah, my own trauma pain and the collective pain... <laughs> I mean, if that all came on to me when I was like 18 years old, I would have blown my brains out. Yeah. I would have blown my brains out. And I have so much empathy for um, our brothers and sisters and non-binary um, family who is dying. They're doing that. It's, mm -hmm. it's like people are, are, are losing their lives, taking their lives. And, and, and I want to create causes and conditions in my mind and heart to um, help people not harm them and and to um, work with the emotions because I really believe my path as I'm a Scorpio um, I'm a water sign which is a deep it's a very deep sign and um, it's like how do I yeah how do I work with my emotions and trans transmute them into um, you know joy love compassion and, and balance, I mean, stability. I had a, when I started my healing path over 35 years ago, 35 years ago, a sponsor said to me, he said, Ben, your task in this lifetime is to stay in your body. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how wise that was and what a practice it has been. Because, yeah, how do I keep staying in my body, um, taking care of myself, and, and one of the ways staying in my body is connecting to nature, you know. So even if that's just like looking out at a tree, it's so beautiful here. There's all this greenery and, and you know, getting into the water for me 
That could even be getting into a bathtub too. It's like, like people were like, well, you're lucky. You can get on a bus. You can go down to the lake. Well, you could put your hand in a bowl of water. Mm. You know, it's like connecting to the elements, the trees, the greenery, and and um, and knowing that I am nature. We we're mm. nature. We're not separate from it. It's it's um. Mm. It's the essence of 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 my whole my whole being and. And, and, you know, it's easy right now to love, to have more love for my body because it's summer. Mm. It's like I've been swimming. My body feels um, more fluid. You know, the energy's moving more. Mm. And um, it's like in the winter, it gets different because it's like colder. And, mm. and it also depends on how much technology I'm doing, too. Mm. And because and, I think things, my experience has been things have gotten really fast. They're getting faster and faster. Mm. And there's an aggression to that. Yeah. And that the, um, the uh, slowing down, you know, it undercuts the aggression. And when mm. I see people that are acting out and really pissed off, you know, a lot of people are so angry. Everyone's angry. I get angry too. <laughs> In a split second, it can happen. But it's like, well, that's, people are suffering too. Like the anger when yeah. I see that, it's like, oh, they're suffering. It's like, how can I just slow down? Really, it, it is about relaxing and unplugging and connecting to nature. And it's so easy right now in, in the place where I live because it's like there's so much, um, you know, things are in bloom and they smell good. And, and, and um, But, you know, I have to realize, too, we're all in different spaces because just because I'm feeling that way doesn't mean other people are. Like, I can be walking down the street just feeling, <laughs> say hi to someone and they're like, what are you talking to me for? <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I hope you have a good day. <laughs> um, well, I was, I was thinking, I think, you know, in our, in our gathering um, earlier this week, I, I even said, you know, sort of recognizing that nature is part of my community and, and how much better I feel when I'm out in nature. And I was backpacking this last weekend and, you know, in a mountain lake and, you know, uh, and seeing, you know, this volcanic mountain, you know, while I'm eating dinner and, you know, just really beautiful experiencing mosquitoes. That's part of nature too. Um, but I get into this space where beautiful nature is right outside my door and I feel stuck inside. I feel like there is this barrier that is keeping me from going out. And it's bizarre. There is nothing physically actually holding me back. But I think that happens to all of us. Of that there is, there is hope. There are opportunities for healing and care. But something seems to barrier us against it. I hear you. I think it's the trauma too. Yeah. It's like I freeze and then it's like I um I found too that just going out and touching a tree could help mm -hmm. sometimes or just a plant, you know? Yeah. You have all these house plants here and and um and sometimes just looking at the sky it can mm -hmm. break that um cuz my conceptual you know my thoughts create my reality and if I'm in one of those traumatized spaces where I'm I'm kind of like on a loop of negativity or and then it's starting to like you know, tighten up in the body. It's like just trying to like break out of that. It's like cutting cutting it and 
oh, it's like, yeah, there's sky, space. It's like connecting to space, kind of the refreshment of space, the compassion of space, which I wanted to say to you too. I love talking about Buddhism. I took this thing once and they talked about the feminine principle is connected to compassion, which is space. The masculine principle is connected to energy, which is wisdom. And ultimately, space and energy are interconnected. They're inseparable. And so we all have that in us too, those energies, the, the masculine and the feminine. And, and it's just space and energy. Like thing, and things come together and they fall apart. It's like the emotions. There's the sky, you know? There's the sky that's just like, can be clear completely clear and expansive and endless to me it's a metaphor for higher power or god and then there's things that arise in space and they come together in space and they fall apart and we are arising in space right now i mean this body is a is a manifestation of um energy and it's going to fall apart someday but then something will keep going on i have a, had a lot of friends who've died lately and um or are dying in the process of preparing. And it's just like, oh yeah, all goes outward and onward and nothing collapses. And to die is far luckier than anyone could have imagined. Walt Whitman. To die is far luckier. Luckier than anyone could have imagined. I mean, we think of death as this, you know, horrible thing. It's like, I'm, I'm not seeing it. I mean, if my CD that I wrote, it's all about the inseparability of life and death and the the joyful sorrow of, you know, tra transcending that. It's like, um, I think too, it comes from s surviving um, the HIV pandemic, you know, and, and then getting through this, this, what we've gone through the past years. I'm just like, bring it on, man. I'm, I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to feel the pain. But, um, yeah. Yeah. but I mean, I've felt a lot of pain. I mean, I've got a lot of tools too. And um, pain is the touchstone to spiritual progress and it's inevitable. Pain's inevitable. I'm a human being, man. No one's getting out alive. There's going to be sickness and death, you know? That's just how it goes. Yeah, I think, understandably, death has come up quite a number of times on this podcast because I think I think uh, I think actually one of one of the people who spoke said that to have a body is to also have death um, and I do think that's that's interesting you know I, I still in my belief system I do believe in afterlife or eternal life but that doesn't mean there isn't death. Like, death is still involved at some point there and change is still involved. Um, and and not, as I'm speaking, I'm just thinking about, like, versions of us die. Oh, yeah. Like, I am not the same person I was three years ago. Um, and that person is gone, you know, I mean, that person is gone. They're also still a part of me. There's, 
as you said, there is there is life, there is body, there is death, all together. And to think of death as the end of life is like to think that the sun's at the end of the horizon. It's mm-hmm. like something carries on, whatever the belief system. I don't know what that... I mean, there's a lot of teachings about it. And yeah. each each faith tradition has, a, you know, teachings around it. But it's like, I, I haven't... I mean, I've died... I think of I think of like in recovery they talk about the ego death. I mean it's really about um getting a healthy ego and then mm. getting rid of the the sick mm. the sick parts. It's it's like ego deflation and it's like I mean I feel like I've died what's that saying he who dies before he dies does not die when he dies. It's mm. it's just like practice dying the Greek philosophers would say mm. it's like the, the more I'm in touch with that the deeper and richer my life becomes. And it's like, I had a friend who's dealing with cancer now and he says, Ben, this is a program for living and a program for dying. And I'm going to live until I die And this program. Not only prepares me for life, it prepares me for my death. And I've had some beautiful enriching death experiences with people who've died in the recovery path. I mean, you know, a good death, they talk about a good death. Um, and it's, it's like, may we all have a good death. Um, and, and be prepared, you know, and keep talking about it because it's like that thing too. It's like, I'm no, I'm fine. It's like, oh no, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> and maybe something does live forever. Maybe, you know, these teachings, there's truth to them. Something goes on that is primordially pure and it's not, it's not me, you know, mm-hmm. but there's something that moves on. Maybe in Christianity, they call it a soul. In Buddhism, they call it mind. You know, mm-hmm. your, 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 your karma, your consciousness. It's like, um, I mean, sometimes I felt when our friend, our mutual friend died, who did this podcast interview, I felt, I felt she was really close mm-hmm. for a period. I mean, I felt, literally, I felt the visitation. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. it's like, and I'm actually grateful she got to move on too, because I think she was, um, she was suffering a lot, you know? Yeah. It's like our bodies can only take so much. My God, my mom died at 59. I'm close to my mom's age mm. when she died. And I, I don't think I'm going to die at 59. Um, I just have this sense I'm going to live longer. But it's like we just don't know. Yeah. I mean, nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. It's like I'm going to, yeah, I'm like, there's this part of me. It's like it's probably my ego, my delusion, my denial. Oh yeah, well I'm gonna get this all figured out. Probably I think by sixty I'll have it really figured out, <laughs> and then I'll have really, you know, I want to get to a point where I don't feel pain anymore, and it'll just be. It's like no, I won't get there. I respect my my mother-in-law quite a bit because uh, I remember her telling me, she's like, I thought. At some point, I would become an adult and that I would know things. And I kept realizing, you know, I got married and I didn't know all the things. And I had children and I didn't know all the things. And she's like, you know, and now I'm older and I certainly don't know all the things. Um, Getting your shit together doesn't seem to be part of the deal. If you think you got your shit together, you're standing in it. (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot. I like, too, as people get older, they get more childlike and more Mm. um, whimsical. And I think people that don't like 
my experience has been when I watch people age, if they don't mm. keep growing spiritually and affirm that, that inherent goodness in them that I like to talk about, they get better mm. in, in um, uh, hard, mm. yeah, embittered, and scared and angry. Ooh. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking that the physical tightness involved in bitterness. my body's shaking (laughs) well as someone who you know i i'm doing pelvic floor physical therapy i am literally a tight person like my body is tight me too um and yeah so i when i think of like like when i'm trying to manage something or control something or or i'm getting into like this embittered state yeah the contortions that your body goes through the tightness um and it's been so helpful for me to recognize not not to try to be like don't be bitter now (laughs) like that your body just is like more and more tight as you try to control your feelings but like i'm feeling really angry and i'm feeling there's a meditation instruction when you're practicing mindfulness that's called not too tight mm. and not too loose because <laughs> Westerners tend to get too tight. Mm. Then there's also this one that's called tighten the tight and loosen the loose. It's like your one pointed awareness gets even more tighter and focused. And then your expansive awareness gets even bigger and looser. And it's like you work with those. It's like tightening the tight and loosening the loose. And for me, it's definitely uh, not too tight. Mm-hmm. Don't get too tight because I get. I tend to get. I think um, a lot of my addictive stuff. It's about control. I just there's this like mm-hmm. I want to control it because it's like I don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. And it's like okay, can I relax? Can I train myself in relaxation? Yeah. Can I train myself in relaxation? So I can have those experiences, you know, when God's presence becomes experiential, not intellectual, because sometimes I think I'm going to think my way into a new way of living. You know, if I just get enough knowledge and I take the class and I I get the transmission, then I'm going to, I'm just going to think my way into it. It's going to happen quick. But it's like, can I drop that and then let, let what's naturally there, you know, um, I've heard we don't have to have... My experience has been, I don't have to add anything to myself spiritually. It's already there. I just need to uncover it. And I'm grateful for the recovery path because it's like a returning to health. It's like uncovering that sanity that I was born with that's there. You know, I was not born basically bad. I was not not born a a bad little boy, you know. I was a basically good, kind, wise child who survived um, some really painful things. And I've heard it referred to as soul murder, mm. the clergy victimization. It's, it's like, in, um, I think of Emily Dickinson's quote, the wounded deer leaps highest. And that means the wound has to be so savage that it makes us, I mean, where else is there to go except a spiritual solution mm. into the arms of, 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 of the divine into the, the embrace, the embrace 
the embrace of the divine mother, the divine feminine, the, the sacred masculine, the the um, the wisdom and compassion, the peace, gentleness of of um, of the broken heart, you know, of the higher power, individually and collectively, that transcends um, self and other, and and gives me the experiences of non-dual awareness and compassion and heart connection and kindness it's like i want to keep working on that because it's it's um it's it's, it's solution oriented mm. isn't that interesting eden it's like the solution could be relaxation <laughs> not like laziness you know where it's just like oh yeah i'm gonna sit in front of netflix See, there goes my there, southern go. accent. There yeah, go. I'm going to sit in front of Netflix for for um, five hours and relax that way. I mean, that's like, to me, dumbing down more. Mm. Depends on what I'm watching, too. There's some good educational things on Netflix. But the more it's like, how about watching nature? And, um, and, and my apologies to people from the South with southern accents. Um, I'm going to look more at how I, how I try to talk <laughs> with accents um yeah so no knowing keeping an open heart mind and just bearing witness to all the stuff to everything that's going on and then mm. loving actions that arise from that you know if i really pay attention and just keep the open mind because i don't know i mean i have this idea i think i i know what what we need to do to fix things. I don't know. Mm. It's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to myself first, to keep myself healthy, keep my oxygen mask on. Mm. And then from that position of relaxation, open-heartedness, tenderness, then I can reach out and be there for people who are suffering. Yeah, so we're, we're at the end of time, uh, but I just always ask at the end if there's anything else you want to say, especially. Thank you. I want to say just thank you. Mm. Yeah, thanks for providing the space, the container. Um, and I just want to say to anyone listening that you are loved and that you're precious mm. and valuable and worth protecting and that there are resources out there in the world to help people that are suffering from addiction, mental health problems, and they're out there and they're available. And um, please don't, please don't give up. Mm. You know, just know that you're precious, valuable, worth protecting and lovable, and that you're basically good, kind, wise, and strong. And even if you don't feel, if you don't feel it, just know that there's people that love you and that there's help for you, even if it feels like there isn't. And 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 access those re, re, resources and don't be afraid to ask for help because um, if I can survive and make it this far, you can. And, um, and just, just be. And thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on, and uh, I'm glad that 
five attempts later that we uh, <laughs> we did this interview. So thank you. Thanks, Eden. Thanks, Ben. Um, something else that I've sort of added onto this is um, I will press into things as I feel them. So I might ask something that's uncomfortable. Bring it. Um, <laughs> and 